0: You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. About 15 years ago, I received a kind invitation to preach at a church that was, at the time, the most happening church in their community they they had it going on, and in fact, my my in my mind's eye, I can see myself standing in the pulpit and looking out across the auditorium, and seeing the auditorium was full, just filled with people. In fact, so many people there that they had overflow seating that out in the incredible. lobby okay, behind so the, the auditorium. Remember, people you, were sitting we'll out there. The uh, I remember no, over no to my left there a was okay. a a nursery okay. area, windows into the nursery, and there's lots of kids in there having crying and also having a good time. And the Sunday school was a busy, bustling place. It, it was. It was a church where there was, there was people of all ages and stages. There was, there was old people there and not old people there. There was families and children and teenagers and godly people. It was, it was a happening place. And I will say that as far as the location, they were, they were kind of the, the envy. If it's possible to have a sanctified envy, they, they, they were the envy of all the church ministries around because they're right in the middle of the community, perfectly placed. It was a happening place. That was 15 years ago. Now fast forward 10 years from then, and if you were to walk in there just 10 years later, on a Sunday morning, you'd walk in and think that I was mistaken in my description of that church. Young people gone, few families remained, many of the key godly people had vanished from the place. Shrunken, struggling, Bearing to my eyes, bearing little fruit. You'd go in there and you'd like, "This, Ross, this cannot, this cannot be the same place that you were talking about. But it is. Now, full confession. I've lost track of this church. I don't really know what's going on there now. It'd be wonderful if things were turning around. It'd be wonderful if there was fresh signs of life there and growth. I don't know. I can't comment for sure. But what I can tell you is this, is that after preaching there 15 years ago, and then seeing it 10 years later, it appeared to my eyes and to others that something very sad was happening to that church. It was dying. It was a dying church. And it seemed evident to me that without a drastic work of God, that it would eventually die of course this, this happens to churches and sometimes there's factors that are external to the church that cause its ministry to to cease you know i mean sometimes it wouldn't be the first time that a, a church in a vibrant busy community is suffers a real setback from maybe a change in the economy or a change in the, uh, the the jobs that are around and maybe people have to relocate and leave the community and that that's that's happened where churches have struggled because of external Circumstances, and then of course, certainly in different parts of the world, there's real pressures are felt because of persecution that can really put the squeeze on a local church and 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 cause uh, and cause a, a kind of at least visible numeric shrinkage. But here's the thing: that this church that I'm referring to, it was not outside external circumstances causing its decline. The reasons were internal. The reasons were spiritual, and the effects were real. It's not just churches, though, that shrivel up. It's not churches that, not just churches that have, show signs of death. Believers sometimes do, too. Christians, individual Christians, who are maybe vibrant for the Lord, serious about living for Christ, fired up about the gospel, living on purpose for the Lord, sometimes, in time, gradually, begin to drift. And as the poet says, way leads on to way. And before you know it, they're a long way from where they were, and a shell of their former spiritual selves. Have you ever seen that happen? Maybe you've personally experienced that happen. Maybe even as I describe it right now, you have a sense that maybe it is happening to you. What do you say? What do you say to the believer who feels like their spiritual life is shrinking, like the muscles of their passion for God are going through atrophy. What do you say to a church that's dying? You say to them what Jesus told the church at Sardis. See, the church at Sardis, they had a fabulous reputation. They had a reputation for being alive and vibrant. They were... Known, I'm sure surely in those days they were known for for many things bearing much fruit fruit like we can imagine evangelism and real gospel ministry and faithful Bible preaching and real and vibrant fellowship people people not only just serving the Lord but fired up about serving the Lord and experiencing growth numeric growth and also spiritual growth deepening in their love and worship of the Lord deepening in their commitment to him strong families, strong marriages building up leaders. The church of Sardis was at one time a happening place. In fact, we'll see in our text that Jesus told them that they have a reputation for being alive. The problem, though, was that over time, there had formed a gap between the reputation and reality. And a church that was once vibrant and alive, Jesus said, was dying. Well, what do you say to a church like that? Well... Jesus had some words for them. They're serious words. They're very sobering words. But if we'll listen to these words, they, by the work of the Holy Spirit, can have the power to bring life to your shriveling, dying heart. And they can spare a church, even like ours, from an untimely death. Do you want to hear what Jesus had to say? Let's look at it and see. Revelation chapter three. We're in our teaching series through Revelation two and three, these seven letters that every church needs to read. Every church needs to hear. We come here, we've been to Ephesus, we've been to Smyrna, we've been to Pergamum. we've been to Thyatira, these real historical churches in present-day Turkey who Jesus addressed historically, but he speaks now presently to churches like ours through his word. You remember, too, all these letters? Each of these letters have a really similar pattern. All of them begin with a portrait, a portrait of Jesus, a presentation of him, something about him is demonstrated, or some things about him are shown that always have something specific to do with the situation he's addressing. And then, usually, he'd give some positives, identifies problems, gives a prescription to deal with the problems, and then all these letters closes with a promise. Now, see if you can see that pattern in this, in this letter. But I'm going to warn you, the pattern in this letter is a little bit different. It begins with a portion of Jesus, but the next thing is not a statement of the positives. No, in fact, it's a statement of the problems and then the prescription. And then there is a positive, but it's later in the letter right before the promise. Well, let's just see, see it for yourself. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 And to the angel, or to the preacher, to the the elders, the pastor, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So there's our portrait of Jesus. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but, notice, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have, here's the positive, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers, here's the promise, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that gives me warrant. That gives me license. That gives me confidence that what he is saying here is not just for Sardis, but it's for Hope Niagara too. Well, let's start with the portrait. What does Jesus show us about himself? Well, it says in the text, it's the words of him back in verse 1. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 1? The words of him, or the middle of verse 1, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And all God's people said, what is he talking about? What are these seven spirits, seven stars? Well, many Bible students will point out that while there's oftentimes in the Bible the number seven literally means the number seven, there's also times when the number seven is used symbolically. In antiquity, a symbolic use of the number seven indicates completeness, fullness. Uh, So in this case, there's many Bible students that look at this reference to the seven spirits of God, and what comes to mind is the fullness, or the perfection, or the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. In fact... Many Bible students would reference a text like Isaiah 11, verse 2, where the Holy Spirit is described in seven ways. He's described as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and and Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits, I believe here, that Jesus is talking about, that he has, the seven spirits, I believe, is a reference to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit that he gives to the church. Remember in John, in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus promised his disciples that when he would go, when he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he did. In Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was given to the Lord's people. The Spirit's been given to you too. If you are in Christ, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And it's the Spirit of God that gives us vitality, that gives us strength. It's the Spirit of God that equips us. It's the Spirit of God that sanctifies us. And when it comes to doing life together and being on ministry together, it's ever and always accomplished. If it's gonna have any effect, it's accomplished by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. After all, what does a dying church need more than the work of the Holy Spirit? It's the fullness of the Spirit to a dying church. Jesus says what you need is you need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us this morning, that's exactly what you need. In fact, for all of us, we all need the filling of the Holy Spirit. The only thing is that sometimes some of us today are quenching the Spirit. Paul told the Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit. You say, how do I quench the Spirit? Well, you quench the Spirit when the Spirit is prompting you toward obedience in Christ and you're resisting when we don't do the things that the Lord calls us to do, we are quenching the Spirit. He's you to give you a desire to serve the Lord, but when you resist Him, when you work against Him, you quench the Spirit. Some of us today are grieving the Holy Spirit. You say, what, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, let me ask you. What is it in our lives that makes the Holy Spirit of God sad? Any guesses? Sin. That's right. That's right. I wish I had something to give you. Whoever said that, I wish I had something, because it's exactly right. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit of God is grieved by sin in your life. And you wonder why you feel a deadness. You wonder why you feel a, listless, a listfulness. You wonder why you just sort of feel lethargic and sluggish, sluggish as a believer. There can be a variety of reasons, but I'll tell you one that's very common. It's when we're living in disobedience to the Spirit. The Spirit wants to strengthen you and give you power and use you for God's glory and for your good and the joy of others. But as you walk in sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is speaking to believers who are dying, and he's speaking to believers who maybe some are dying today spiritually. And he's saying, what you need is the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that God goes about filling us with his Spirit is through the reading and instruction and proclamation of his word. And I think that's what he has in mind when he talks about the seven stars. Jesus describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we're told in Revelation 1 and 20 that the seven stars are the angels or the messengers. That word angel means messenger. We're told they're the messengers or the preachers or the pastors of the local church. And so here's my question is, think about this. How does God specially move his people. How does God equip his people, inspire his people? How does he uh, fill them with strength and encouragement? He does it often through the preaching and teaching of his word. The word is proclaimed. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, applies it to your heart, and gives you encouragement, sometimes correction, conviction. But ever and always, as we grow vibrantly in the Lord, it's because the Spirit of God takes the word of God, applies it to the people of God, and things change. So what Jesus is saying here is, listen, church, listen, dying church, listen, shriveling believer, I got what you need. I got what you need. What you need comes from me. It's like we learned this week and reminded the men's conference this weekend about the importance of abiding in Christ. Jesus said that he's the vine and we are the branches. Jesus says we're to abide in him. When we don't abide in him, when we're not intimate with him, when we're not under his word when we're not seeking him in prayer in prayer. It's like we're not abiding with him. And if a branch is not abiding in the vine, what happens to the branch? It dies, doesn't it? The branch has no capacities in and of itself to live, and neither do you apart from Christ. So Jesus presents himself here as the one who will give the fullness of the spirit through the preaching of his word. He's saying, hey, hey, listen, church, this is what you need. What do you say to a dying church? Look to Jesus, abide in Jesus, he's what you need. And that's what you need too. Here's the idea, and I hope this encourages you. Jesus Christ is willing and able to give life even to a dying church. Jesus Christ is willing and able To give life even to a dying church. Even to a Christian who senses there may be in them today signs of deadness. Jesus has got life for you. He presents himself as the one who is the source of renewal and revival. Loved one, loved one, listen. Have faith that God can raise the dead. Even when it's a sense of deadness in you. The Lord Jesus can do that. He can do that. And of course, that was a problem at Sardis, wasn't it? It was a big problem. That's what he he says in in the, the second half of verse one. It's a new paragraph of my Bible. Do you see that? He says, I know your works. I know your works. It's interesting. There's a period there. I know your works. So I know what you do. It's sort of, like, sort of like Jesus has been to the church at Sardis, and then there's a press conference afterwards, and the press gathers around. So Jesus, you've just been to Sardis. Tell us about, what did you see there? Well, I know their works. Oh, okay. I, I, anything else you have to say about what's happening there at Sardis? No comment. No comment. This can't be good, right? I know your works. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? He's not smiling. He's concerned. He's grieving. Look what he says next. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. That a living past. Known for gospel proclamation, evangelism, generosity, fellowship, vibrant ministry. Spiritual and numerical growth. You have a reputation for being alive. If you were... Traveling in present-day Turkey 2,000 years ago and met some believers, you're wanting to get a sense of what God was doing in that area, you'd ask some believers and they would tell you, they'd tell you, you gotta go you've, you've got to go to Sardis. You've got to go to Sardis because everybody, it's the talk of the region. What God has done in Sardis and the believers there. there. There's a church that just, we've heard story after story of the things that God has done in them and through them. You've got to go to Sardis. Jesus says, you have a reputation for being alive, but, but What? You are, say it, you are dead. You don't want to say it, do you? You know something? This has been a tricky week preparing this message. Early in the week when I started to really, start to put this together, I just sensed a real heaviness and a real sobriety because this is a serious thing. The reality is is that it can happen in the life of any believer and it can happen in the life of any church that we go from being vibrant and alive to being casual, complacent, and dead. You see, the issue at Sardis is that while they had a tremendous past, the present was looking dim. The greatest stories of God's working and God's moving amongst his people in Sardis are all history. All things what he did years ago, or a few years ago, or last year. But very little fresh testimonies coming around about what is happening in the present. Why is that? Because the people have grown complacent and spiritually lethargic. He says, I know your works. I know your works, but notice in the middle of verse 2, he says, Wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. In other words, they're kind of coasting. They're called the mission, but they're just, they were doing it, but not now. Here's, here's the principle, and I think this is at the heart of this message today. Please make a note of this. A church with a living past, but a dying present, has an endangered future. A church with a living past, but a dying present, has an endangered future. Their works were not complete. The stories, the testimonies are about things they used to do, but they've backed off, they've eased off. This past summer, I was with uh, Leanne and the kids, we went out to uh, Charlottetown, PEI, beautiful part of the country. And um, I'm not too ashamed to say that one of the most beautiful parts of the country was the cow's ice cream dairy that we went into. Uh, when, one day we were down at the harbor front in Charlottetown. And uh, I have to say, I'm told apparently there's a cow's in this area. And if you know that location, I would appreciate if you would take me there so I can find it. Because I'm, I'm almost certain that when we saw the cow's dairy in Charlottetown, I could hear angels singing over it. Um, it was quite the place. And I mean, I had in there, I, rem- I still remember what I had. I had apple pie ice cream. Oh, that's going to be in heaven. I am certain of it. Anyway, we're standing in line at this ice cream place, and uh, when we're in line, Leanne, she was in front of me, and what she does when we're in an ice cream place in line is she's very attentive to watching what everybody's getting. So she'll watch everybody goes by, she sees what ice cream they have, and that helps her decide what she wants to have. Me, I usually have my mind made up or I just make it up on the spot, so I do the people watching. She does the ice cream watching, I do the people watching. Well, as I'm standing there watching the people go, I saw a man who immediately, right away when I saw him, I recognized him right away. And for a moment, I'm like, I couldn't believe it was him, and, but then I knew it was him, 100% sure it was him. He walked right by me, he was with his wife, and he had a bowl of ice cream. And I'm like, I'm like tapping Leanne Shaw, I'm like, man, man, look, 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 you know who it is? Now, if you're not a hockey fan, please just bear with me. But if you are a hockey fan, here's who I saw. It was Mike Gardner. Mike Gartner. Remember Mike Gartner? Hall of Fame NHL player. He did a little stint with the Leafs there. He was super fast. One of the fastest skaters to ever play in the NHL. Prolific goal scorer. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. There's Mike Gartner right here in Cow's Ice Cream, which is a great endorsement of the ice cream place as well. So I'm tapping Liam I'm like, "Liam, there. Look at Mike Gartner. I, I keep it pretty cool around famous people. She will testify. I'm like, this is crazy. I saw Mike Gartner here. She's like, where? I'm like, the guy that just went there. She's like, oh. She's like, I was just looking at his ice cream like, now, I have to say, seeing Mike Gartner there in, in cows, I knew it was him. Man, he looked a lot different than he used to. I mean, back in the days when he was in the NHL, he was young and vibrant, and I mean, he still looked pretty healthy. He looked to me like he could probably put on some skates and do laps around me. That's not saying much, though. But here's the thing. As fit as he was at his advanced age, he's not playing in the NHL anymore. Those were yesteryear. All the great stories of goals scored and speed records broken. They're from years gone by. He's not doing that now. You say, well, of course he's not doing that now, but don't miss the point. There's lots of churches that, shall we say, drift into retirement. And that's okay if you're an NHL hockey player or an athlete or a laborer who's come to that time in life, but it's never okay if you're a local church. And that's what's going on in Sardis. Complacent, taking it easy, just resting on their past. Listen, when a church rests on its past, what you're doing, all you're doing for your church is you are fluffing the pillow of your church's casket. Now you might be hearing this and thinking, so how do you you know? How, How do you know if a church is dying? how can you tell if there's deadness in your own soul i would say this first of all i would say that i think many christians can intuitively tell when there's deadness in the fellowship the day that my father died i was with him when he died and i remember at the time we were given news that you know we doctors didn't know how long he had things weren't looking good but he he could live any length that they weren't really sure. It wouldn't be long now, but who knows? Will it be in a day? Will it be in a few days? Will it be the in a week? So I remember we were he was in the hospital in Peterborough and we were living in Brampton and so we we're kinda kinda trying to figure out, you know, how to manage this and, and you know, want to be there with him, but at the same time maybe it's maybe I should be going home and coming back. I didn't know. I remember the day that he died, I walked into his hospital room, though, and walked in just sort of thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll just visit him for a bit and head home and then come back later. But I remember walking into his room, and I'll spare him his own dignity, but I would just say this, that when I walked into that room today, I thought to myself, I hadn't better go anywhere. And within about three hours, he passed from this life into next. Sometimes you can just kind of tell that there's deadness in the room. There's deadness in that person's life, spiritually, in that church. But I wanna just try to put some specifics, put some handles on this. What are some specific things that we can identify? I got 10 things. I can go through them fairly quick, but 10 things. You may think of other signs, but here's 10 signs, 10 signs of a dying church. Number one, where there's preaching without power. Preaching without power. Gather open up their Bibles, and listen, listen, that's more than we can say for a lot of churches. But even in opening up the Bible and even in preaching, we have to ask ourselves, is there evidence of the Spirit of God working? Is God doing things? Are lives being touched? Are lives being changed? When we have a sense that that's not happening, that's a wake-up call to us. That should be, should be smelling salts to our noses. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up! Because what we, we're preaching God's Word, not just to preach, not just to check off a box that we're in God's Word. We're preaching for life change, life transformation. And that doesn't happen by willpower, it happens by the Spirit of God. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so encouraged in these days. That we have some men and women who are praying every Sunday during the first half hour of first service. And they're praying specifically for God to work in power in your life and even in mine. As we unpack the scriptures together, as we worship the Lord together, I have sensed in recent weeks an unusual encouraging working of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you have too. And that can be, there's many people praying and there's there's multiple factors, but I, I have to think that part of that, maybe even more than we know, is owing to the fact there are men and women who are praying specifically and intentionally for God to work, but where the Lord is not working where the Lord is not working. Preaching without power. That's that's a sign of deadness. How about this one? Prayer without passion. Prayer without passion. It's good to pray. Good to pray. But here's the thing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Nothing. Did you know that? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is pretty serious. That's weighty, isn't it? Loved ones, we we ought to pray. But we got to pray like our lives, like our ministries depend on it. Because it does. They do. Praying without passion. Pray like it depends on him. The, The Bible says that we're called the fervent prayer. To seek Him and pray. Are you doing that? Are you abiding in Christ in that way? For some of you, this is exactly what you need. You say, Ross, this is so discouraging for me because I try, but I just can't will myself to do it. It's like if I'm honest, I just don't want to. Then that's what you pray about. You get serious, you kick the chair out of the way, you get down on the floor and say, God, you got to come and give me a desire to pray. This is what I need, and don't stop asking until he gives it. Keep knocking on the door, God, give me a desire to seek you, because I need you, because my life depends on it, my family's encouragement depends on it, this ministry depends on it, the, the future of this church depends on you working in power, I need you, I need you, I need you. You can do that. You say, I don't feel like it. Then do it anyway. Cry out, say, "God, come help me." Prayer without passion. But here's what happens: we just get okay. We just get just 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 uh, just okay. Just going through the motions. God forbid that it ever happen here. It totally can, though. It totally can. So don't take it for granted. How about worship without wonder? Worship without wonder. I, this is. There should be a little quotation mark here, but I, that's just my mistake. There, worship without wonder, because when there's no wonder, you're not really worshiping. You're just singing. I want to worship the Lord? Delight in Him, loved ones. I, I, please understand my heart. I don't mean any kind of criticism, or any kind of demeaning criticism. I guess I do mean criticism. No, no demeaning criticism. That there are sometimes. I've been in worship services in places there's not a lot of worship going on nobody sounds really like they mean it and maybe i'm maybe i'm judging wrong maybe i'm missing something but sometimes i think i'm not to worship the lord in our gcc churches we say we want to sing our faces off why because we love the lord and music is a gift it's not the only way we worship him but it is one way to worship him he's looking for those who worship him in spirit And in truth, with enthusiasm and joy. You say, Ross, sometimes I don't feel like it. Then worship him anyway. Through your tears. Through your sincerity of heart. Pleading, Lord, I need you. I love you. Give me worship in my heart for you. That honors him. Worship without wonder. Number four. Service without sacrifice. Service without sacrifice. Serving the Lord, but just only when it's convenient for me. I will... I'll do it, but just if it fits my schedule. Now, sometimes you got other things you got to attend to. I totally get it. But also, sometimes it's the pattern and the practice of a believer, believers, churches, that we're only engaged in ministry when it fits our schedule. That's a sign of deadness. Motion without mission. Motion without mission. Doing things. Active. But do we have at the center the target of seeing people become disciples who make disciples who make disciples? Too many churches get moving in motion and forget why they're even doing it. Too many believers just go through the motions, doing it because, well, I just always have done it. Motion without mission. Friendship without fellowship. Friendship's good. Friendship's important. But what you need, though, is fellowship. You need, like the men, we were reminded of this this weekend, weren't we, brothers? Reminded that we, what we need in our lives is people who are with us in the Lord, who will pray for us, who will encourage us, who will remind us about Jesus, who will at times correct us and come alongside us. People who, not only do we know them, but they, they know us. That's what we need. And that's a gift And by the way, the Lord has not made you to be able to live for him without the fellowship and the ministry of other believers. I wonder, let me ask you, in this church, do you have friendships? Do you say, well, I'm brand new? Well, give it time. But if you've been here a while, do you have friendship or do you have fellowship? You can say, well, I don't have fellowship, and I suspect, Pastor, that's partly your fault. You might be right. Maybe it is. Maybe there's some things we got to tweak and adjust. But I will say this. There are available to you many avenues by which right now which you can experience fellowship I think of men's ministry, I think of women's ministry, I think of hope groups that meet on Monday nights. And of course if you've taken our, our Discover Hope and our Essentials, we've got small groups that meet in homes. Listen, there are opportunities for you to experience fellowship here. And that's what the Lord wants for you. When churches consist of, friends, of friendships without fellowship, that church is dying. Here's another one, hearing without doing. Hearing without doing. I hear the word, but I'm not awake to what it's saying, not responding to what it's saying. I just tell you to my own shame, the reality is just the truth, and there's people in this room here who can bear witness to this, that when I finished high school, I went to a Bible college program for two years. Isn't that impressive? Wow, a two-year Bible college program before I went off to study. Actually, I went through to be a teacher, but that's a whole other story. When I was in Bible college, though, I remember sitting in these Bible classes, and I, was, I had a reputation for falling asleep. And I, I don't know what, well, the big thing is I just didn't go to bed at night. That was probably the biggest thing. And part of it, I worked a job that had late hours, and then I just, I've always kind of been a night hawk. And then I get into Bible class, and it's nice and warm. And one of our instructors especially had such a soft voice with a South African accent I mean, that's, just, that's better than the whooshing waves you listen to. Some of you on that app before you go to sleep, just like, I can't keep my eyes open. And, and that's crazy, the stuff you do, right? You just try to, like, maybe if I put a book in front of me, he won't see them sleeping. Like, you're just so tired. You just do stupid things like that. And I remember just just, finding, I just I can't stay awake. I was known for falling asleep, which coincides, actually, with my spiritual condition at the time. Sleepy. I just wonder, are you sleepy today? Not falling asleep here in this warm room. Are you spiritually sleepy? Are you dozing? When there's enough of people like that, a church is dying. Hearing and not doing. Talk without action. Right, Sardis, they probably talked about things they were hoping to do, planning to do, getting going again, but there is nothing happening. And Jesus is like, wake up, wake up. Programs without progress. Programs without progress. So we got programs that we put in place. I'm not down on programs, but the problem happens is when we don't stop to ask ourselves, is this ministry doing what we intended it to do when we started it. And some funny things happen when you start asking those questions. Some who take real ownership of that ministry, and they get real kind of possessive of it. You start asking questions, and they turn into the Gollum, like, it's mine, my precious, my precious. You ask them, about, yeah, but is it accomplishing? Oh, no, it's mine, precious. And it can get really nasty like that and possessive, but you got to ask yourself, though, what is the purpose of this thing? Is it accomplishing the christ exalting disciple making purposes it was designed for? Because if it's not, well, dying churches hold on to things way too long. And we, none of us here are above that. And then sometimes it just gets, you just get, I don't know, it's just what we do. It's just, we've always done this. We've always done this. And, but you never stop and ask, is it accomplishing the Lord's purposes? One last one fondness about the past without fire for the present, fondness about the past without fire for the present, looking at what God has done in the past is really important. Looking at what God has done in the past fuels our faith in the present, because here's what happens. We remember that God provided Hope Niagara with a lifeboat over on Scott Street when we had no place to meet. And that building, some of you, you're, you're too new. You don't even know what I'm talking about here, but there was, it was quite the place, right? I remember one Sunday preaching and there was literally plaster falling, like snowing down. on me. I don't know if you ever remember that. Snowing down, on I me mean, in that room. We had water in the basement all the time. The, the bath, we don't even have bathrooms. There was a trailer in the parking lot. It, it was really something, but here's the thing. People who are here remember that God was so good to provide for us that place at just the right time. And what happens is is we look back and see God's provision, and then we encounter a need in our present, and then we're reminded, hey, just as God provided in the past, He'll provide today, and we're encouraged in that. We look back and we say, hey, just as we needed people on our team, just as God provided Pastor Alec and Pastor Tim and other staff, we look at God's provision in the past, and we're encouraged when we have needs now, He's gonna raise up workers now for what's in front of us right here. Just as we we marvel at the amazing story about how God provided us a place as a permanent home, to be a a hub for ministry, we remember God's goodness, God's kindness in the past, and remember just as God provided, just as God showed he cared, just as God was faithful then, he will be faithful now. The function of the past in the Christian life is to look at what God has done to fuel our faith in the present so we'll keep going on to the future. The problem happens is when we rest in what's happened behind and there's nothing going on in the future. We're more excited about what God did then with no vision or passion or heart for what God is doing now and God is interested in right now. Fondness about the past without fire for the present. And so that's why we preach. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. That's why we witness. That's why we fellowship together because these are, are things that are vital for us to be engaged in now in the present. It's not enough just to have done it, but to be doing it by faith. So you hear that and you think, is there deadness in me? Signs of deadness as we look around. Listen, loved ones, there is life and vitality here in this church now, but we cannot assume. As soon as we start assuming things, like assuming prayer, it's, it's not enough to know that we're to pray. But to pray, it's not enough to know that we're to worship, but to worship. As soon as we start assuming things, we're in huge trouble. We're heading toward death. So what do you do? What do you do then when you realize you got a problem? Well, Jesus tells us, doesn't he? He says in verse 2, he says, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's like that alarm clock. There's a spiritual alarm clock going off in this text, right? That wretched alarm clock, that gets you going in the morning. I'm a snooze button kind of guy. That doesn't make me a bad person. I'll hit it two or three times, but every time it goes off, it's telling me, Wake up! Wake up! That's what Jesus is doing here. Wake up. Wake up. Be be watchful. There's no time for indifference, okay? The house is on fire. The smoke alarm's going out. You can't wait to Tuesday to decide what you're going to do about it. Wake up, strengthen, he says, strengthen. You see that in the page? Wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die. In some ways, this is real encouragement for Sardis because Jesus is like, look, it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. Yeah, there's a lot of deadness there, but there's still some life. There's still some faithful people there. There's still some some coals in the fire. Now, now let's get the logs of your prayers and the logs of worship and the logs of fellowship going on that fire and just, just watch what the Spirit of God might do. Strengthen, strengthen what remains and is about to die. You don't do anything, you're gonna die. You say, would Jesus allow that to happen? Would Jesus allow that to happen? Jesus will cause that to happen. He says in John 15 that he is the one that removes the branches that bear no fruit. That's happened in many local churches. Wake up, strengthen, remember. See, remembering has a function. You see that in verse 3? Remember then what you received and heard. What did they receive? They received the good news about Jesus that saves us from lost eternity. What have they heard? They've heard the gospel mandate to go and to make disciples of Jesus. Remember that. And then keep it. In other words, apply it. Do it. Repent. See that? And repent. Throw off your lethargy. Call it what it is. Lord, I've been sinfully unfaithful. You've called me to things that I've not been applying. Start with repentance. Jesus says, if you will not wake up, verse 3, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. I don't have time to tell you all about the, the history of Sardis, but just, I just want to tell you this. For the people in Sardis reading this, this, this would have touched, touched a nerve. You know when you go to the dentist and they get poking around with all their, their ancient torture devices in your mouth and they get something, oh. oh right? This would have have done that to them in Sardis. When he says there, I will come like a thief, the people would have been like, you say, why? Because the city of Sardis had a bit of a history. It it was built on a 100-foot plateau that was super steep, and there was one way into the city. It was gated, and they had guards. They had sentries at the gate, but none of the rest of it was guarded because they assumed it was way too steep for anybody to climb. The only problem with that is that some soldiers in the king of Persia's army scaled the wall, scaled the unguarded part of the cliff and climbed into the city and took it over 500 years before this letter was written. So just an embarrassing, shameful mark in the city's history. And then 300 years after that, it happened again. Jesus says, I'll come like a thief in the night. Well, all the people were, seating, were sleeping. Twice it happened. The city got taken over. So when Jesus says, if you don't respond here, I'll come like a thief, the believer's are like, oh, oh yeah. I remember that. He knows all about this city, and what's happened to the city has happened to the church spiritually. So Jesus says, wake up. Notice, make a this. Write this down. When the Lord shows you signs of death, wake up. When the Lord shows you signs of death, wake up. If you are seeing in your life signs of spiritual lethargy, passivity, if you've been phoning it in like we say, Jesus would say to you, wake up. Wake up. Confess it and respond in faith and pleading with God. Now like all the letters, the Lord closes here with a word of encouragement and I don't want you to miss this. Notice the encouragement. I mean, this can be pretty discouraging at times. Pretty discouraging even looking at our own selves and our own shortcomings. And we can, it ain't hard, I can witness, it ain't hard to start feeling bad about you and your own lack of progress. But the Lord is good and he always encourages his people. And that's what he does here at the end. Verses five and six, he says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white Garments. It's a promise of purity, a promise that one day we will, though our garments may be soiled, he can make them clean. He promises, too, the certainty of our salvation. Did you notice that about the book? I will never blot, verse 5, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Do you know that God's got a book? You say, is it a real book or is it a spiritual book? It's a book, it's his. And he's got names written in it in the book of life. And you know whose names are in there? Everyone who knows and follows Jesus, your name in there? Some of you, your name is in there, and you don't even know it's in there yet, but you're gonna meet Jesus, and you'll learn your name is in there. You say, how does that work? I don't know, God is God, but he says it's been in there since the foundation of the world. Put that in your hat and think about it. But everybody whose name is in that book of life is a person who trusts Jesus to save them. And what the Lord says here is that if your name's in there, it'll never be erased. You know, in the Roman Empire, my understanding is I'm told that in local communities there was a register with the names of the citizens they're in, and if somebody died or if somebody went to prison, their name was removed. But Jesus says, if your name's in my book, your name will never be removed. Do you know that if you were in Jesus, your salvation is sure? Like you're going to make it Not because you and you're cool and you work hard, but because Jesus is great and his promise is sure. And finally, he says that Jesus will confess his name. Whoever's in the book of life, that's you, isn't it? Many of you. I will confess his name before my father, and before his angels. Hey, it's one thing to know Jesus, and it's awesome, but isn't it so amazing to see that Jesus knows you? (laughs) He knows you. So, loved ones, the reason we're closing here with this promise is to encourage you to keep going. To encourage you to wake up. To encourage you to not let your foot off the gas of the pedal of your walk with the Lord of abiding in him. Be like the athlete, the runner, who's maybe it's 100 meters, maybe it's 200, maybe it's 400 meters. But when they're running that race, and you watch them closely, the best of athletes, they're not looking behind them to see where they've been. They're maybe at the most glancing to the sides, just to see where they are compared to others. But more than anything else, they're looking straight ahead. And as the finish line gets closer, you see them straining even harder and, and straining forward. And when they get to the finish line, they like lean forward just to shave milliseconds off their time. The promise, the certainty that you will finish and you will win in the end is given here to encourage you to take heart. To, to take heart in the the fact that eternal life for the believer is a sure thing. In Jesus, you're going to make it. So, the call of this text is in light of that, and then make this count. So, to close, what do you say to a dying church? Three things and I'm done. Promise. Number one, never be satisfied with where you've been in the past, but responsive to what God wants in the present. Don't be satisfied with where you've been. You can be encouraged by what God has done in the past. But don't be satisfied. Instead, be responsive of what God wants in the present. What does God want for you today? To trust him, to repent, to seek him, to cry out to him. Second, examine yourself to see that you are alive. Are there signs of deadness in your life? Examine yourself. If there are, cry out to God for a filling of his spirit to encourage you, to equip you. Thirdly, finally, abide in the Lord Jesus. Abide in him. See what do you mean by abide in him? Love him. Be intimate with him. Draw near to him. Seek him. Talk to him. Say, Ross, we're back where I was earlier. I don't feel like it. Then tell him that. Say, God, help me. I need you. Be in his word. Be in prayer seeking. No more. We cannot assume it. We cannot assume it. We must lean into these things. Okay, last thing I'm going to tell you, then I promise I'm done. I promise. In preparing this sermon, what I sometimes what I do with some sermons, my, I should tell you, my uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Dr. Bill McCrae, and he's not preaching anymore, but he is hands down one of my favorite preachers. I just, he's just a great, great preacher, and I've been so privileged to know him in my life personally. And from time to time, if I'm preaching a text, I'll look on the internet, his sermons are all over the internet, I'll look around and see if, how he had handled a text, if, it's, if I can find it online. Well, I found him, a sermon that he preached on this very text, Revelation 3, 1 to 6, and I'll just tell you straight up, his sermon's been super helpful for me in preparing But here's the reason I'm telling you this. As he was preaching his sermon, talking about a dead church in Sardis, at a certain point in his message, he mentioned the name of the church where he was preaching that sermon. The sermon was about recorded about 16 years ago. And he mentioned the name of the church where he was preaching that sermon. Do you know what the name of the church was? The church's name is the church that I told you about in the introduction of my sermon. The church that at the time was alive and bustling, heard a word from the Lord, a warning about deadness. And my conclusion, my sobering to my bone chilling, bone chilling realization is there is a church that heard a word they needed to hear in a very timely fashion and they didn't listen. So loved ones, let's not do that ourselves.